all. My name is Francesca and I'm joined today by the lovely Petra. Petra, how are you? Hi guys. Um, I'm actually not doing too well today. I, I didn't sleep at all last night um, and, and have been have been up pretty much the whole evening and the whole day sort of with um, election anxiety, uh, which is apparently a thing. So yeah, actually, look, a very good point and something that we should definitely ask our guests about because they are based in the States today. So very excited to introduce both Crystal and Jay from NEA. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, so um, over to you on the elections. We'll try and keep it short as this is not a podcast about elections. But given that, you know, we're right in the mix of it, how do you find it? What are your opinions? Have you been uh, following it like Petra with anxiety? Maybe I, I can jump in first, and then Crystal, I'm curious to get your take, but I uh, watched it very, very closely last night, um, but decided to turn off things this morning just, just to get back and focus on work. Um, curious to see uh, what happens, I guess, when we, uh, when we look back post-recording uh, post this, but, but definitely a nail-biter and hoping for the best, so keeping my fingers crossed. Um, it's funny when we when we get coached internally on talking to the public, the first thing is don't talk about politics. I'm so glad you started. Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but similarly, um, you know, was following the news a little bit into the evening. I mean, I think what just struck me was just, you know, my Twitter ecosystem is very representative of only one message and, and you know, one point of view. And it's clear that there's a lot of polarization, but also that polling data is super flawed and we need better ways to really measure and track that. So I don't know, I'm going to be zen about it and wait for the results in a couple of days. And being Canadian, I'm I feel a little bit more secure in that. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it's a very interesting time and very interesting to see what will happen because at the moment, who who on earth can, can tell? Um, but moving on to something that we can definitely learn a lot about from this podcast is NEA. Um, would you guys be able to give us a little bit of an introduction of the fund? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, maybe I can get started and then hand off to, to Pistol as well. Um, so uh, NEA is one of uh, Silicon Valley's original venture firms. We've been around for more than four decades at this point. And over that period of time, we've been able to build a wealth of experience, kind of investing in hundreds of companies. And what's great about kind of having that perspective is we've also been able to evolve rapidly over time. So while we have the benefit of this history and learning through a variety of experiences, it's also a very nimble firm. So we're constantly getting together and thinking about how can we improve how can we react to kind of changing market conditions and how can we best serve entrepreneurs today? On a fund perspective, we've raised 17 funds to date. Our latest fund closed just at the start of the pandemic. It's a $3.6 billion fund. And while that's a lot of capital to deploy, um, we're predominantly early stage investors. We jump in with companies at, at any stage. So it's in a, an entrepreneur and idea. So idea to maybe pre-IPO is our scale. Um, but the vast majority of our investments happen to be Series A and Series B. Crystal, would you uh, be able to provide a little bit more context on kind of where we're spending time today? Sure. Yeah. Um, at an organization level, uh, we have both healthcare and technology teams. So our healthcare team uh, invests in life sciences, you know, actual drug discovery, medical devices, healthcare IT, and Jay and I are on the tech team. So uh, we have offices in New York, Menlo Park, San Francisco. We invest throughout the U.S. We also invest pretty globally. So we have clusters of investments in China, Canada, and an increasing number in Europe. You know, as Jay mentioned, we're quite multi-stage, but we have an early stage DNA. So we really like to partner with companies um, and be close to team building and company building. 
Um, and then within the technology team where he and I work, um, we invest in you know consumer internet, enterprise software, and fintech. Those are probably the three main buckets. And we can look at pretty much anything within those spaces. You know, I think Jay will chime in on his coverage a little bit, but I spend most of my time on enterprise software, infrastructure, and fintech. Um, within enterprise software, it could be both horizontal or vertical SaaS. Within infrastructure, it's you know, cloud infrastructure, but also developer tools could be open source or not. Um, and then B2B fintech, so you know, payments or banking infrastructure. And the only other thing that I would add to that is to say, uh, we're also very kind of long-term uh, investors. So our funds are 10 plus years in length and we like to be partners on, on a company's journey for as, as long as we can be helpful. So there's countless examples of times where any has been on a board for not just five years, but, but maybe even 15. So we like to kind of be there for every step of the journey and, and work with companies through thick and thin. Got it. And how do you um, sort of support that, that journey? Do you have, you know, aside from like the investment team, do you have someone that sits alongside um, maybe the individual who led the investment to help out with operational challenges and hiring and BD? What does that aspect look like? I can, I can chime in here. So uh, we have invested a lot in really a portfolio services platform, right, with that intent in mind. And so, you know, we have a number of partners in our talent group, and they will help with executive search, with org planning, compensation planning, you know, helping recruit independent board members. And so they work really closely with quite a few of our companies on that. We also have a business development team, and they're always networking into the Global 2000 to really find good introductions on the customer front for our companies. Uh, we have a design partner who actually came out of IDEO who helps with um, you know, UI, UX design. Uh, and then we have a venture partner network of people who are really operational experts in particular things. And so Jeff Melt, the former CEO of GE, is one of our venture partners. And he obviously knows a lot about um, you know, manufacturing and healthcare and is super well connected. Um, Hillary Coppola-McAdams uh, is one of our venture partners. And she uh, used to run sales at New Relic and Salesforce before that. So she helps a lot on go-to-market. So we have a lot of those functional experts. And the way we kind of set up the portfolio company relationship is uh, when we onboard them, they get introduced to the whole portfolio services team. And so they get, you know, a whole group of people at NEA. I think the average is seven or eight touch points for portfolio company throughout the firm. And so it's really like a many to many relationship and they, um, you know, get to leverage all of those people. There's no bottleneck with who did the investment and only they can, you know, facilitate the intro. It's really sort of open and, you know, free for all in that way. Wow, that's super impressive. Like seven to eight touch points. That's, that's a lot. Because um, I occupy like a similar role for Manta Ray. And so when you were saying, you know, there's seven or eight people that you can meet with the way it works with Manta Ray, it's like everything, everything goes to Petra. You just mm. do it all. But I think that the, the US is so far ahead in terms of providing that operational support and, you know, the value add versus Europe. But yeah, I mean, it, that's that's a huge differentiator for you as a fund as well. You know, being able to bring on board the former CEO of GE. I mean, yeah, huge. Well, we we're hoping for the best, and we're trying we're trying our hardest. Well, talking of the best, um, clearly you've got an amazing platform already set up to support your portfolio. But I'm I'm conscious that you both as investors also should hopefully be bringing value add and that's hopefully gathered from working at NEA but from your previous experiences so I'd love to hear a little bit more of you know how did you end up at NEA and and what are the sort of skills and contributions that you've made as a consequence of your past roles sure 
so I can sort of walk walk you through my journey to VC. Um, so I, I studied political science in college, actually, and so I initially thought I wanted to be a lawyer <laughs> many years ago. Um, but midway through college, got an interest in finance and um, kind of explored that and became a technology investment banker after college on the West Coast. So I worked at Blackstone. We actually got to work with quite a few venture-backed companies that you know were maybe getting bought, or, you know, bought. And uh, I learned a lot about, I think, the tech ecosystem, about you know, venture-backed outcomes, about just really understanding different spaces. And I got very passionate about technology investing and, and, and venture capital in general. And my first venture job at you know, the team at GGV Capital, they were actually in the same building, Blackstone. And so it was pretty easy to find out about them. And, you know, I had great alignment with the team there and they had a U.S.-China focus and having um, been born in China and actually taking an interest in that space, I thought it'd be a great fit to learn about both the U.S. and China and, and just have a very broad experience. And so I started as an associate there back in 2013. Um, started out quite generalist and so did both consumer and enterprise and then uh, transitioned to doing more enterprise software and infrastructure as time went on and got more interested and excited about those spaces. Um, and so I worked my way up from associate to VP to principal. And then um, in 2018, I wanted to move to New York for personal life reasons and wanted to get the best possible job and move to New York. And back when I lived in Palo Alto, I actually met a roommate on Craigslist who was working at NEA at the time. It's very random. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, actually lived with an NEA person for a period of time and got to really admire and respect the firm and had, you know, talked with many of the people on the investment team about different deals on and off throughout the years. And so already felt like there was great alignment and fortunately there, there was a spot for me. And so, um, you know, I joined NEA in New York in, um, in the summer of 2018 and I've been there for about two years now. That's awesome, Crystal. I don't, I don't know if I knew all of those parts of those stories. So I'd say, similarly to Crystal, I've been fortunate to have been exposed to the aspects of entrepreneurship and finance over different parts of my life. Um, and venture is this great kind of confluence of, of both of those areas. So I'm originally from New York. I think very typically there is surrounded by a lot of standard finance professionals. My dad at the same time um, had started his own small business. Over time, I guess growing up, I was always more enamored with uh, tech and STEM and wanted to be really hands-on. I came out to the West Coast for college. I uh, did as technical a major as I thought possible with electrical engineering. I'm fortunate that I don't use any of my kind of hands-on hardware skills today, or I would say the industry is fortunate that I'm not I'm not practicing my hands-on <laughs> hardware skills today. But over time, I mean, I was uh, able to get exposed to, to startups via my internships during college and general kind of the ecosystem of Silicon Valley. Um, I did, again, wanted to kind of blend that with uh, a bit of standard kind of finance background and again, be able to participate at a high level with these companies. Um, I joined McKinsey out of college, which, which brought in that more kind of operational experience, was able to work on the West Coast and East Coast with a variety of, of startups um, or earlier stage kind of large corporations. Um, I was fortunate to meet a few of the NEA team members pretty early in my tenure there as well. I mean, built a relationship over time. Um, I've been at the firm now for three years, um, spending my time largely in fintech, um, both B2B and B2C, and a little bit of enterprise software as well. And one of the amazing things here is what Crystal alluded to earlier is that we are pretty hands-on. Um, and again, it's a really broad platform. So we get to be day-to-day with many of our entrepreneurs, whether it's uh, in board meetings or kind of ad hoc, talking through different problems or things where we might be able to help. And for us, it's it's not only investing in the US, but it's also investing internationally it's not just early stage, but it's also late stage. It's enterprise and consumer investing. 
So the purview you have there is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, and the ability to kind of build knowledge across these different sectors is, is pretty awesome. So it's, it's cool to kind of be, I guess, an, an entrepreneur to the entrepreneurs in a way where, where we can, right, and, and try to help out. Um, so get to flex some of the operational muscle while sitting in a more of a traditional finance seat. Very cool. So um, the top tips I've gathered from there is to start building relationships early. But I think it's interesting to learn your experiences, but um, especially in the US market, I can imagine it's so competitive to get a deal. Obviously, NEA has got a great reputation of, uh, you know, the time that it's been around. But I was wondering, you know, as a young person in VC competing against a huge number of uh, senior people within other venture capital firms, what gives you the edge of winning those really exciting deals that are going to become unicorns in the future? I think that the simple and the hard answer is just that, you know, you have to work harder and hustle harder, right? And I think NEA helps us a lot in that it is a good brand and, you know, people are open to talking to us and spending time with us. And we have a lot of, you know, learnings across our history that we can bring to bear. But, you know, if you're competing with GPs at other firms, right, um, how do you go and get those meetings and build those relationships with those founders? A lot of it is just meeting them earlier, right? And so hustling to learn about companies, leveraging your network, just doing more LinkedIn searches to find, you know, interesting talent. So it's sort of that ground game of just surfacing companies and chasing them down. And then it's, you know, impressing those people when you get those meetings, right? And so I have to come into meetings that I care about with some kind of thesis and market research and, you know, something to share, right? And some understanding of what they're trying to do and and good questions, because you really only get one shot to impress that entrepreneur. And then you have to follow up and you know, in the U.S., it's it's pretty commonplace for the entrepreneur if it's a hotly contested company to expect customer introductions or talent introductions. And so you also have to be in the background investing in those networks to have people who want to take those introductions, right? And and you also have to be selective about that because I don't want to send our portfolio CEOs 15 demos a day and ask them to buy 15 vendors, right? You have to be very choosy as well. So you have to do all of those things Um, And then also manage the internal discussions around building excitement about companies and getting people caught up to speed. And there's no shortcut or tricks. It's just working harder and always investing in your network and always, you know, getting smarter about a couple of spaces where you have a prepared mind and so you can move quickly and add value. So I think Jay has a really great case study of how he did this recently that you might want to talk about. But I think all we can really do is is work hard and have the benefit of, of youth and time and exuberance. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the environment is tremendously competitive. And as I alluded to earlier, I mean, like we need to be dynamic and, and able to shift and respond to that environment. And thankfully, I think that's something that we've been able to do well. Um, and it's not just to be able to, I mean, I think presenting your skills, um, but also just moving nimbly to be able to kind of capture an opportunity whenever it might occur. It's really interesting when you'll, you'll meet with companies multiple times over the course of the year and their intention might not be to raise for another 12 to 18 months. And suddenly, maybe two weeks after you just chatted with them, it turns out that they're actively engaged in kind of late stage in a funding process. So it's really being able to kind of react quickly and be nimble, right? And, and always kind of have your eyes open and your ears perked up and kind of listening to uh, the signals from the environment to understand when you need to jump in. Uh, for the particular kind of example that, that Crystal is talking about, we were really fortunate to be able to kind of participate with the company in a, in a process that got tremendously competitive over a very short period of time. And the high level without going into kind of too many specifics here is that one, 
we, we're a very broad platform, but we also go very deep in a few sectors, right? We've got tremendous experience. And, and one of the areas there where Crystal and I both spend time is FinTech, again, both on the B2B and B2C side. So here what's worked well is developing very core kind of subsector theses. So for instance, hey, is it cross-border payments? Is it banking as a service? Is it anything more niche than that, right? How do we really think about emerging kind of FinTech in, in Latin America, for example? Right, so it's, it's spending kind of concentrated amounts of time in any of these subsectors, really understanding the landscape of companies in this space, understanding, hey, how is regulation gonna impact things? How is the market dynamics changing? What else is going on that we need to be on top of? So then when you start and enter into these conversations, you can be able to kind of participate on an accelerated timeline. So it's kind of building that knowledge for yourself, but also for your team. So when people are kind of presenting to a partnership, hey, everyone's kind of aware of what's going on and, and has the, the stage has already been set. So this is a high level for this specific company. Thankfully, we were able to do that. We were able to meet a handful of companies in and around the sector, build a thesis and say, hey, here's why we think this company is interesting or this overall space might be interesting. What coincidentally ended up happening is we met a couple of companies in the space. We thought a few of them were, were interesting. And along that process, we kind of heard about another one that was particularly exciting. Um, we got a warm intro to, to that company um, just to catch up, right, uh, without kind of the intention of, of them raising or the like. And of course, once we got that first introduction, turns out they were already halfway through a very exciting, fast moving process. So jumping in kind of three to four weeks late into that process, we had an accelerated timeline in working with that entrepreneur who had just a, a deadline that was two weeks further out. Ideally, we like to do a lot of work, kind of understand a company uh, before committing to anything, right? And we were able to do that at a very accelerated timeline. And really what that just meant is, is how can we build a personal relationship with the team and with the entrepreneur, get on the phone with them and uh, really show them how we, we can address their personal needs, right? Whether that's through customer introductions or whether that's through questions about the space, questions about venture capital, kind of the question, hey, like, what can I do to help is, is a little bit tired in, in VC, um, but there are ways to demonstrate value. Um, and I still do truly believe that. And they can be very nuanced based on the sector or the, or the team that you're working with. Um, so it's really about doing that, kind of having consistent touch points, being available over text and phone and email, whatever it might be at whatever points in the day, um, and showing up when you need to. Um, so I think travel is, is one thing that's maybe a little taboo during COVID, but potentially some ways to do it in a safe way. Um, so getting in front of teams if you need to be, right? Otherwise, just spending a lot more time over Zoom um, and trying to add value, again, via customer intros um, and things like that. So thankfully, we were able to run a pretty accelerated process. and. Uh, win the ability to kind of work with this company over a long period of time when a few other firms and, and very notable names were at the table. So thankful for that opportunity, but I think it was a lot about the uh, the earlier meeting prep and thesis prep that allowed us to be in pole position to win. I would add just to toot Jay's horn a little bit um, that the sort of personal touch and relationship really matters. I think earlier in my career, I thought that it was more professional to just send long, very nicely worded emails and, you know, be very polite and you know, nowadays you just got to start texting people and calling them and staying top of mind and, you know, sort of having these social catch-ups and having you kind of get used to you as a person. And I think that matters a lot. You can't be too passive or too, you know, formal in these cases anymore. I think Jay did a great job of having a friendship with the, with the team. Yeah, I, I completely understand the, um, the, maybe pressure isn't the right word, but the expectation of like, almost constant availability. Um, and I, I think, I don't feel so much of, of, of the pressure asked. I think the, um, it's almost like an enjoyment of harmonizing what you do and, and who you are and, and constantly keeping that 
flow throughout your life. Like I, I've realized, and I'm sure that you would agree um, to, to a certain extent that in venture, the work-life balance thing doesn't exist for me. Um, and it doesn't exist for a lot of people now. And so the way that I try and think about it and, and Jay, it's how, how you were kind of alluding to it as well. It's that it's almost like a harmonization of this constantly being being on it, which can be exhausting. But I think that's where, you know, crystals, you said youth and exuberance does, does, does benefit you in a way. Absolutely. Um, I had a question around the interview process. I'd love to understand how it was for, for each of you to, you know, in venture, sometimes so, they can be so different. They can be, you know, a few conversations or, you know, a 20 step process um, or presentation. How was it for you um, and NEA? So again, I think this is really just a series of relationship building exercises and getting to know a team. Um, again, NEA is um, an established firm with a deep history um, and we've hired a handful of people over time. So th there is maybe more of a process, um, at least for some levels here than there might be um, at smaller or more upstart firms. But for us, it was again, just that same series of conversations. So jumping in the door um, and talking to, to someone on the team who is willing to talk, right? Whether that uh, intro was kind of facilitated by uh, any kind of warm connection, a recruiter, um, or you kind of reaching out um, or having to have it happen a roommate, whatever it might be, right? Any type of organic conversation and kind of proving sector knowledge or even just general interest in this space and demonstrating your desire to kind of work hard and be a team player. Um, I think those were the, the key things that were important to us, right? To say, hey, um, there's a genuine excitement about entrepreneurship, working with entrepreneurs hand in hand for a long period of time, right? Being patient with that capital and doing your, your deep diligence um, to make sure we're able to kind of support these entrepreneurs and also support our LPs in the best way we can. Um, so again, it's just consisting to meet people over time and then build interesting theses that you can share with the team. So whether that's in FinTech and in, in infrastructure or areas that are kind of interesting at that point in time, or looking even further ahead and saying, hey, in five years, I think this is going to be really exciting. Um, and thankfully, I think for the both of us, we were able to to kind of to convey that um, in a way that worked well. So um, at NEA, I think there are maybe two common paths, one which is more structured, at least at the associate level. So historically, we have um, worked with recruiters and we you know, hire a handful of associates on both the West Coast and the East Coast every year across technology and our med teams. And so there is sort of a, a common cycle of intake, if, so, so, so to speak, um, where we do work with a recruiter and, you know, we have, you know, we um, have first round interviews and we have coffee chats prior on and this usually starts in the fall. And so there's that structured component of it. But I think as a firm, we're actually trying to get a little bit less structured in that we want to open up the pipeline and meet a lot more people who don't necessarily come from year of investment banking, year of consulting backgrounds, right? And so we're trying to be more open-minded and, you know, respond to more cold outreach from people and engage with more people from non-conventional backgrounds. And so I think that is a little bit in transition, right? So it's, you can come in both in a very structured format where you talk to a recruiter or you can just network with one of us. And I can kind of share the story of like my own process at NEA because I think it was instructive of both process and relationship building. Um, and so, you know, I was noodling on potentially moving to New York I hadn't really decided on it. A recruiter reached out to me about NEA. I got introduced to NEA's head of talent. We had a good conversation in San Francisco. And, you know, but I, I think I didn't say explicitly that I had the intent to move to New York. I was a little bit wishy-washy about it. Um, and so a couple of months passed, you know, I got more serious about it, reached out back to her and she kind of started a process in, in an interview cycle. And 
simultaneously, um, one of the principals in the New York office who, who I actually sit next to when, when I do have an office, Andrew Schoen, he and I um, actually both came out of Blackstone. So I had known him for a long time. And once he found out I was in the process, I think we had a lot of mutual respect and trust. And so he helped shepherd me through the process and, you know, kind of provided a good reference for me. And then a couple of other people on the team, like Rick Yang, who's a GP I had also known previously. And so um, it was sort of both process, but also pre-existing relationship and also being a little more proactive when I decided to make a move and all those three things kind of had to work in lockstep to make it happen. Got it. And actually, Jay, I, I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier about how in the process you're able to portray that you were to gather information, form your own thesis and be able to um, talk through it or explain it to the rest of your team and share it to the rest of the team and that's an incredibly important component in as as your role um i'm curious like what kind of formats do you do this is it very much like i'm going to sit down with the team and i'm going to go through a few slides or is it an email is it a youtube video like how do you present what is very valuable information in informing um your investment thesis yeah happy to talk about kind of a how we pitch a company or, or thesis area in both our internal setting and maybe in the interview setting as well. Um, so internally, again, it's, it's diving deep into some of these subsectors, understanding one, the market landscape of who the key players are in the space. So using the, the resources available to us, um, and thankfully there's quite a lot out there right now to subscription-based services that we have, but also just kind of general scouring the internet and uh, and scouring maybe social media and whatever else it might be, trying to understand who the key players are. Uh, more importantly, it's getting in front of each of those companies, spending an hour or so with each of them, understanding, hey, what is the quality of this management team? Um, what is their vision? How have they been able to execute on that vision? And what has that resulted in for kind of historical business trajectory and where it's going forward from here? So internally with our team, we've got a couple different subsector meetings. So each week we'll organize together as a consumer group or an enterprise group or a fintech group. Um, and we've got a couple of different, maybe thesis-based or, or sector-based um, sub-teams in that, in that perspective. And then here we'll read out each week. These are the interesting companies that we've met. These are the theses that they kind of, or sex sectors that they fall under. And here's the reason we should be excited about them. So for some that are actionable right away, it's, hey, um, how can we kind of present this opportunity to the broadest group possible? and kind of collect feedback, get opinions, and have a healthy debate around why or why not this opportunity might be interesting. And then for ones that aren't actionable at that point in time, it's, hey, how do we continue to attract this company? And given how fast processes are moving right now, right, what is the best way to stay in front of them? So again, it's doing some independent research, it's synthesizing that research, and then presenting it to the broader group, at least in that format. Um, and for specifics of kind of how we do it, it's, again, there's, there's no secret sauce to kind of having a, a slide that looks a certain way or anything like that. Um, so there's probably a variety of different presentation formats. If it's thesis work we've done, the easiest way to convey it is probably in a, in a short slide deck. If it's just a company we've talked about, I think just, just talking about it verbally or over video and Zoom um, works just fine without any other specific materials prepared. And then on the interview side, I would say what's been really impressive are, are uh, individuals who we talk to who do come with a very formulated thesis and are saying, hey, here are a couple of companies that are interesting for this reason. And then they actually follow up after the fact as well. Um, so that's always interesting, right? It's like, hey, I've actually been tracking the company over time um, just for some intel. Hey, they've been doing this well over this period of time. And this is the reason you should continue to be excited, right? So it's interviewees who come in with the form thesis 
And again, thankfully for them, a lot of this information is publicly available. I mean, spend a little bit of time on Twitter and, and you'll see what's trending in our community as well. But then continuing to follow up and continuing to build a relationship. And for those interviewees as well, right, it's continuing to stay in touch with that interviewer um, and presenting that thesis point in time when you first meet, but continuing to follow up on it and demonstrating why it's been interesting. Yeah, that's a really, really helpful answer. And I, and I imagine with the pandemic, there are certain sort of thesis or ways of doing things that you've kind of identified and you can help support your startups going through this period and sharing that information across your portfolio. So I was wondering, like, how have you guys found the pandemic and how have you helped the portfolio during this, what is, you know, a very challenging time for some of them, not maybe for some others, they might've uh, excelled. There's, there's definitely been there's diversity of impact across the portfolio. Um, but step one for kind of NEA early in March was really like stepping back from pursuing active new investments on, on the same cadence and really focusing internally and figuring out, hey, um, how can we use our resources to make sure each of our teams are staying safe and healthy, um, number one, right? And then number two, that the, their businesses are still doing well and are able to support those teams going forward. So part one was kind of like allocating a team internally who could look into resources. Of course, the PPP was really big in the U.S., so how do we kind of clarify those resources, make sure they're available to any of our teams that qualify and are eligible for them? And otherwise, how do we use the existing resources within NEA or within those companies to best position those companies to weather the storm? Um, right, so it's reallocating budgets, it's being thoughtful about kind of what strategic areas of spend are important and which are less important um, in aligning your company goals around them. So that was a very hands-on kind of engagement for, for several months at that point in time. Several companies we led new financings in and, and gave kind of follow-on capital commitments, right, where we could. And uh, in just kind of generally trying to use the resources of the firm to support those businesses. Outside of that, I would say it's, it was doing kind of, again, thesis work, but this thesis work was, again, directed internally. So to say, hey, let's do a, a, a sector scan and, and survey on, hey, how are big public companies faring? How can we use that information and send it back to our companies to say, hey, here's some tactics that we're seeing that maybe you can think about that might, might help your sales process, might help the product direction, might help anything else. We published a, a, a little snippet of that research kind of online as well, which was hopefully helpful. And um, then simultaneously, it's, it's how can we help the broader community? So one of the things that I hope was beneficial as well as we launched um, a list of startups that are still hiring. So a portion of that was startups within our portfolio. Um, but thankfully, this, this list that I posted um, we garnered responses from, I think, 450 companies across the Bay and some internationally as well. And we got thousands of hits from um, different employees who might have been displaced or otherwise looking for work. We're looking for, for new employment. So number one, I guess, helping the, the companies within our portfolio. And then number two, kind of trying to help the broader community when we could um, and matching them in the best way we, that, that we had the ability to do. Yeah, so to, to jump in on the, the COVID point, um, you know, I think we did a couple of things. I mean, one on the um, sort of financing or cash management side, obviously, we immediately went through all of our companies, um, you know, one by one and tried to make sure that they all had really healthy runway to ride this through. So we were targeting, you know, two years and we didn't know how long this situation was going to persist. Um, and so for each of those, it was, do you need to raise more money? Do you need to cut burn? Are you doing okay? So kind of going through their plan and their burn in great detail. 
um, for the ones that needed to raise, introducing them to investors, helping them craft a story, you know, NEA participating usually quite generously on our follow-on to continue supporting the company, right, and kind of being patient partners. That was that fundraising aspect of it or cash management aspect of it was a big part of it that we focused on, say, in March and April. Um, and then we also have the benefit of a lot of data, right, around benchmarking, you know, around team size, um, you know, ARR per employee, what burn should be, um, and just what good looks like from a metrics perspective across, you know, thousands of companies that we've met, and we can help companies sort of sanity check how they're doing, right, and really where they should be cutting or investing more. Um, so we did a lot of that as well. And then I would say, you know, the shoe hasn't dropped yet, right, <laughs> in the U.S., in that throughout this whole time, the stock markets have been roaring, there's been a lot of stimulus. And so a lot of companies, I think, you know, short of the ones that are very directly impacted that are in, you know, travel or hospitality, or, or you know, ride sharing, like, a lot of our companies, I think, are actually weathering the situation quite well, which is, I think, heartening to see, but we also don't really know what's going to happen next year, right? We're kind of in a low interest rate, high stimulus environment. Um, and so I think we're preparing for the long term still and trying to be very disciplined with our companies around burn and cash management. Petra, should we should we go into question time? Yes, let's do that. Sounds good. Okay. Um, so our guests don't know these questions, but hopefully we'll be able to provide very strong answers. No pressure, guys. So the first question is product or team? Jay, why don't you go first? I'm going to go with uh, backing a strong management team is, is always number one. We really align ourselves with founders and think those founders, even great management team, but maybe some not 100% on the business model, um, you can still build an amazing business. I'm the same. I was going to say team. I think a great team can figure out product. Okay. So from previous conversations, I gather that you invest roughly like 5, 10 million at early stage Series A but then you can go way up to 150 million. Is that right? Yep. Absolutely right. We, we have a huge range in check size. So my next question is like seed series A or like the big check sizes, which do you prefer? Chris, I'm going to let you start with this one. <laughs> Thank you for the gracious punt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say um, I like earlier stage I think, you know, the potential for an investor to have an outsized positive impact on the business and maybe also negative, but, you know, positive impact on the business is greater when, you know, you're trying to fit out product, figure out product market fit and bring on a management team. And it's harder work, but I think it's more fun. And I do feel like more a member of the team when we get in at that stage. So I, I prefer early stage. I'd agree with that as well. So I think at the Series A and Series B, it's, it's a tremendously exciting point uh, for the company where we can really exercise that hands-on muscle um, and spend a lot of time with the company in a way that's ideally valuable on both ends. Okay. So this is a question where you can't have the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you need to record us both separately? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's fair point. It means that you're very aligned as a fund. So, so credit to you. But with this one, you cannot give the same one. Uh, so if you were to start your own fund, what would you call it? That's a, it's, it's a great question. I do like this general trend kind of, hey, maybe four years ago when a lot of funds were getting started, you had a handful of firms with a lot of last names on the board and more recently kind of funds that have been getting started. Even NEA has this in its ethos, right? Um, New Enterprise Associates doesn't stand for any of our three founders, 
right? And it's really become a, a longstanding institution that can weather the test of time, right? And it's not necessarily linked to any given individual. So without kind of saying a, a direct name that I don't have in mind as yet, but I'll continue to think about, right? I'd, I'd, I'd love to follow that same kind of ethos, right? So maybe find something symbolic, right? That, that uh, illustrates kind of uh, working with teams through a long period of time, again, through thick and thin. So if there's a word that does that, I'm gonna keep thinking and, and noodling on that and I'll give it back to you. But I love the idea of like maybe not tying it directly to kind of any individual or entity, but having something that can be more long lasting. Got it. Um, so not wanting to replicate any series of suits or anything like that. Um, <laughs> they seem to be constantly arguing over the name of the law firm. Um, I think my last name is hard to pronounce anyway, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So back in the day, I bought this domain precisionvc.com because it was only $15. But <laughs> that's not, not a bad name, right? Not a bad name at all. I like it. I like it. I, I look forward to, to seeing it up and running. Um, amazing. And anyone that's figured out that word that Jay has described and, and wants to contact you, what's the best way of, of contacting you, Jay and Crystal? reaching out directly right it could be email it could be twitter it can be anything right so our email addresses are just first initial last name at nea.com and we're we're always monitoring that inbox so i mean feel free to shoot an email there or, or shoot us a dm as well i think we're, we're active across any any medium so linkedin or, or twitter um and just shoot us a message on hey um, this is what we're working on and, and this is what we want to talk about um, and are you guys hiring right now across investment functions, platform, anything else? I think we're always um, open to it. Um, I don't know that there's an active structured process going on at the moment. I think so that that path, I think, is not super active, but we're always open to meeting great candidates and we hire off cycle. So I would say, you know, feel free to, to reach out and network with us and send your well-researched research decks that we can then use. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, amazing. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us on the call. It's been super fun. It's been awesome. Thanks again for having us. And good luck to all of us today and this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. I hope you found um, our conversation with Jay and Crystal as informative and, and interesting as, as I did. And Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter at associated underscore pod and write to us at associatedpodcast at gmail.com. We always look forward to hearing from you. Uh, comments, suggestions. We're excited when, when we see your emails. Uh, so stay tuned and find out who we're going to be speaking to next. And don't forget to stay tuned to our Notion page. We put all the interesting companies, resources, um, and informative pages on there that our guests have mentioned. Great resources for you to learn more about venture, um, especially if you're preparing to interview. Bye.